The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy. Yes? Have you ever been to jail? Uh, I got threatened with it a few times when I was a kid, but but no, I, I, I never got caught, so I never, I never doing anything really bad, so I, I can't say that I have. Well, this is just opens a whole can of worms. <laughs> Let's just go with okay, no. Okay, no. Um, I have never been to prison. What about you, Maureen? No, I have not. I've, I, I've, you know, at the risk of sounding flippant, I've been to Alcatraz, but as a tourist, you know, the beautiful island. Well, it's not beautiful, but it's in the bay across in San Francisco. I can't imagine anything worse than being in prison there. Yeah, Alcatraz, not, not the same. No, not the same. But it's a fantastic tour. Mind-blowing. No, everything I know about prison, I learned from movies, shows. Orange is the New Black. That's my experience. Okay, so movies and TV. I guess what we're saying is not too many fancy white ladies go to jail. Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that. Actually, if you have, like most famously, probably Martha Stewart. Oh, yeah. You know, remember yeah. the prison poncho she made? And and uh, and uh, Paris Hilton went to jail as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Felicity Huffman? Yeah. Felicity Huffman, she went to jail for fixing her daughter's college entrance exams. How bougie is that? Yeah, that's very fancy white lady. Um, not that we are. But anyway, she, um, Felicity, Martha, Paris, the rest of them, they I think they all did their time, right? But mm-hmm. but I got to think it's not fun. It can, going to jail can really suck while you're there. And it's not so great when you get out. Well, that's it. That's what brings us to today's guest, Emily O'Brien. Emily went to prison. She went to federal prison after being caught importing cocaine into Canada on her first go, no less. And uh, we'll talk about that, I hope. While she was there, she came up with the idea of starting a popcorn company. Yeah. So they made popcorn in prison, apparently. And Comeback Snacks is the result. Once she got out, uh, Emily started a business. She learned all about manufacturing, also about making a commitment to helping other people, former inmates, people who've been to jail to, to find work and to encourage businesses to, to hire them like she had. Grab some popcorn. I would recommend the lemon pepper dill from personal experience and meet Emily O'Brien. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi there. How you doing? Amazing. How are you? Good. You're busy, 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 aren't you? You were just telling us you're <laughs> running around town. You're, you're making appearances, but you're also dropping off goods. Yes. Yes. Dropping off, picking up, getting ready for the Grey Cup Festival tonight. So Wow. Okay, well, we're going to ask you, and I'm sure you've told your story, but we're going to ask you to begin at the beginning. And let's start with how did you end up in jail? You're a drug smuggler. We we find that like that's way more than the shoplifting when I was 10. (laughs) Slight correction here, ladies. Failed drug smuggler. Okay. Okay. Yes. Well, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you were in prison, I suppose. There's one thing about me. I have a great sense of humor. So if I make, if I crack jokes, it's usually about myself. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. So, so, so how did you end up being an unsuccessful drug smuggler? Well, I didn't go to university for it, for one. I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, a great family, loving family. I went to university, University of Guelph. I studied international development. I always had jobs. My first job, I think, was delivering newspapers with a wagon so that I could buy chocolate bars. I was always very motivated to, to work. And I always volunteered. And my parents brought me up to be like a, a really good person. And I always was. And in 2012, 2013, 
I went through a really challenging time because my family was separating and it doesn't matter how old you are, right? It's whenever you see two people in pain and their family in pain, it just sucks. And there were some people like that were like, oh, aren't you old enough to, you know, not be sad about this anymore? And just kind of making me feel bad that I was sad. So that's why I turned to substances. And at the same time, I actually had a social media company in Toronto. And I met someone through my work who was like, oh, no, you're like, I want to help you get on a better, not a better path, because I wasn't on a bad path. I was just on a, I would call it like a sad path, because I was going somewhere that I should be going, but I wasn't happy. Right. And he was allegedly sober, and we became very close. You'll read some articles that say he was my boyfriend. He was not my boyfriend. He was someone that I became close with and trusted. And he's like, you know what? Like, let's go on this trip. And this was after I'd known him for eight months. And he offered to bring me to what he said was Puerto Rico. We go to the airport. It wasn't Puerto Rico. It was St. Lucia. And I'd never heard of this place in my life. But again, I was at the airport and I blamed myself because I was drinking at the time. And I was like, okay, yeah, it was probably my fault. And we go to St. Lucia three days into this trip of fun. On the third day, he tells me it's not just about fun and games anymore. He told me that we're there to work. And I was brought to a house that had a family in it or people that in it that acted like a family. There was no guns, you know, no rabid dogs barking in your face. Like it wasn't, wasn't in some mansion. It was just a house. And they were like, thank you for doing this. I don't want to say your partner here, but like so-and-so here has been in debt. and. Thank you for doing this because I was there to help him settle this debt. And when he booked the trip, he had taken my passport and sent it to these people. Yeah, we've all done really stupid, stupid, stupid things um, quite often with uh, people of the opposite sex, I will confess. Um, But it was really stupid. Like the guy told you that he was uh, into smuggling drugs and I think you'd given him money. And I don't know, I, I guess, you know, addiction speaks to a lot of it. I never gave him money. I thought you gave him $10,000 for a car that you didn't get. Oh, for a car. Yes. Yes. A car that I never got. And and then you never got the money. Yes. Yes. But when you, when you see like the kind of good thing about them, which was like, I knew I wanted to stop these substances. That was, I was like, okay, you try to like just ignore things. Right. But you're right. You're right. I overlooked a lot of things. No judgment though. So, (laughs) but let's, let's fast forward to, so you agree to transport. So what was it like a, like a, uh, it was a kilo or something of Coke. So I didn't agree to anything, but I had to agree when I was down there. Yeah. Like I didn't, people always tell me, Oh, you could have done this. You could have done this. But when you're in a foreign country and then you're told something that you have to do, it's, just scary. Like you don't, you don't want to mess with that world. So what was it? What did it end up being? Two kilograms of cocaine strapped to my body in like a bite short form. Jeez. So how big is that? Like I'm trying to, I'm such a neophyte about this. It's like an iPad. Whoa. So it's all pressed flat Mm -hmm. and you're, and that's it. That was the extent is you shove it down your bike shorts. Well, I had to get these custom made bike shorts made by the people that were down there. I had to go to this like tailoring room in this drug house. And this woman took my measurements and took my measurements and then was like, all right, you're going to be, you two are going to be back on Friday with these drugs to put in these custom made outfits. And then on the Friday, we had to go back to that house, put them in and get on the airplane. 
So this was supposed to be like pat down proof, you know, should anybody give you a pat down at security, which happens to all of us, right? But you that was the idea that it's sewn in and that you would, I mean, geez, I keep thinking of what was that movie with um, Midnight Express? And he was just start sweating at the airport. I mean, that, yeah, that was me. Yeah, that was you. Oh, so what happened? So they they realized that you had something hidden under the spandex or under the yes. And then what? And then we get well. I didn't know that they, that's what they realized until later, until after I was arrested. We get off the airplane, and then we go through the first security checkpoint when they ask you, "Oh, how long have you been gone for?" Blah blah blah. And then they give you a little paper with a number on it. It's just squiggly. At the time, it was a it was written in marker still, and they, it's like a number with a circle around it. It's not a check mark. It's not an X. It's just a number. And so at this point, he thinks, "Oh yeah, we're through." And then right before the exit. You can see people with their signs up. You know, we already got our bags. You were almost out. Yeah. And I was like, thank God, like, get me the hell out of here. And then they're like, you got to go right. And it's never a place I'd noticed before because I'd never been in the situation. Like, I, I wasn't like, I didn't know secondary in an airport because I'd never been, I never even thought about it. I didn't have to worry about it. And there it was. So you spent a couple of years, I think, in house arrest, and then there was the trial, and then you went to prison. And and you write that prison, I mean, Maureen's like seen all kinds of things on television. I'm an expert. Uh, yeah, I'm an expert, too. I, <laughs> neither of us have ever, have ever been inside a prison. But it was interesting, because we have, you know, I maybe you did wear orange, I don't know. But you wrote that, or you told somebody that what it, it was like a sorority. Like, really? Isn't it supposed to be, like, terrible? Where did I write that it was a sorority? <laughs> it was a community. It was a community, for sure. It was. I lived in a house with because I was in medium security. You were in Kingston, right? <laughs> no, I was in uh, Grand Valley Prison for Women, which is near Kingston and Kitchener. Oh, Kitchener. Kitchener. Oh, I'm sorry. The by well, K's, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It became a family of people that got along, but there was still a lot of drama. There was still violence. There was still fights. There was a lot of you know, prison elements to it. But I think I just didn't really focus on those. I tried to focus on what was around me that I could grow with. And I tried to make it non-prison as possible. And that was kind of like, I guess, a coping mechanism. The comparisons, I can't help but make the comparison to Piper Kerman, who uh, was, you know, nice middle-class, pretty blonde girl like you, woman, and, uh, and got coerced into transporting cocaine through her girlfriend. And ended up in jail. Um, so similar. And then she wrote about it. And then that was made into Orange is the New Black. So based on her own experiences. So there is some truth to that. Obviously, it's dramatized for, for our entertainment pleasure. It's scary as hell. I mean, you say it sounds like you made the best of it. But you had absolutely no experience with this kind of thing. No, It had to be. Either you're putting a very good face on it or or our experience of prison is maybe more dramatic than it is. It, it's very it's, it's very prison-like for sure, but I I don't know. I, I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't prison because it was. But I, since day one, I told my parents I was just going to camp because I think I just wanted to protect them. I didn't want them to be afraid. And I knew that people didn't get along in real life. People got in fights in real life. People would attack each other maybe not physically but online in real life so the same kinds of violence and abuse that people do to each other not just happens inside prison but outside as well 
And so I knew that going there would just be a, a different, it was like going to another country with its different rules, languages, and economy. A really awful country with, with really uncomfortable accommodations and terrible food, which is what I guess brings us to, to uh, a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel for you. Yeah, I find it really interesting reading about you in the beginning that, you know, you've always been really smart. Uh, you've always had a problem with, uh, which I have, um, with with some rules. And you've always wanted to sort of accomplish things. And you did, like even in prison, like you tasted this popcorn, the comeback popcorn, which is now the comeback popcorn. But you tasted the popcorn with other prisoners in the kitchen. Like, tell us about... How did that all happen? So every day, like, well, we had to cook all our own meals. And so people would cook different dishes. Some of them would be their favorite meal from home. Sometimes it would be a birthday cake for someone's birthday. Like that's, that's how we create a community despite all the stress that was going on, all, all of the anxieties that we faced. That was how we kind of came together. Not all of us, but some of us came, came together. And popcorn was a popular prison snack. It was also one of my favorite snacks because part of my, I guess, substance use disorder was started with an eating disorder. I would go from not wanting to eat to substances. And so, okay, I knew that I was going back into a stressful environment and I didn't want that eating disorder to like reemerge. So I was like, okay, I need to find something that will help me cope so I don't relapse in that way. Like, sure, there's, there's drugs and everything in prison, but like that was, my eating disorder was the main problem that kind of led to all these other things. So in prison, I was like, okay, popcorn, healthy. People would like tell me their favorite recipes and we would pop it and tell our favorite story, not our favorite stories, but tell stories of how we wanted to do better, how we wanted to not be so misunderstood and our struggles and how we felt that all of our skills and talents were just ignored based off the one thing that we did wrong. Is that when you decided to start the business? Did you decide on the inside? Inside, there we go. <laughs> Listen to her. <laughs> yeah. I'm an expert. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Because I was like, what can I do with this thing? If people are like, oh, write a book. I'm like, about what? Like, I haven't done anything. I just committed a crime and I'm going to prison. I'm not writing a book. Like, I, I wasn't important. Like, I didn't do anything significant enough to write a book. And, uh, that's how I felt, at least, right? No, like, I felt like no one would want to hear a story about this girl that got busted trafficking drugs and wrote a book about it. Like I, I knew that I had to do something more and I wanted to do more. So in, in prison, combining like my entrepreneurial spirit with the whole popcorn thing, wanting to fight for the comeback potential of people in prison, but it needed a pathway to go. That's how Comeback Snacks was born. Hey there. Uh, just so you know, Mo and I are not just the queens of podcasting. I'm not sure we're even that, but do go on. We're not part-time cowgirls. We just made that up. But we are writers. We're writers. Wendy and I write a newsletter on Substack. It's a weekly roundup of thoughts and experiences, sometimes serious, often not. Yeah, you're pretty funny. You you write about falling down a lot. Uh, You write about your dog. I do. You write about sex and politics and COVID. All very, very serious things. We have a few thousand subscribers, both free and paid. And you could be one of them if you'd like. Just go to substack.com and look us up by name or go to our website at womenofillrepute.com and sign up there. We'd love to meet you there. 
And now back to being the queens of podcasting. Yeah, sure. <laughs> The women of ill repute. Uh, so you get out. How long were you in? How long were you in the inside? <laughs> I know. The big house. <laughs> the big house. So I had a four-year sentence, but I did a year in. And, you know, I got out after a year. And this wasn't because of any special treatment. It was how the Canadian prison system works. If you are don't cause any incidents, whatever, you don't test positive for any drugs, if there's no incidents, then you are eligible for day parole. And he still have to apply. And so I was like, okay, nothing's going to mess with this path that I'm doing. And so I got day parole after a year. And then I lived in the halfway house for six months. And then I finished the rest of my sentence in the community. So that was about two and a half years. So, so you're out, but you're facing the same situation that everybody else who's gone to prison or has a record is that you, you, how do you get employed? And I'm sure there are social workers who are there presumably to help you, but you must have realized, in fact, I know you realized this is a real blemish on your record and it's very hard to get people to see beyond that. So, so you decided to make popcorn for a living and did you have any experience in manufacturing? <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually so the funny thing is I went to Guelph University and when I wanted to go like the two programs that I wanted to go to were like were business and nutrition and when I applied from high school my biology or whatever grades you need to get into the nutrition program bio sciences they were good enough I didn't get into that program I also didn't get into the business program because my math wasn't good enough and so I was like oh international development that sounds awesome and so now I'm like doing all three so it just shows that you can learn as you go. Yeah, because now you've got, yeah, I don't know how many locations you're in, but you're selling it everywhere. It's like you're running a business. You're, you've hired former inmates, I think. You, and, and it's this whole idea of I'm running a business and I'm hiring people who have a prison sentence, right? Or who, who had spent time in prison, which is kind of cool like how it's really cool it's really amazing so how did you get the, did you did you hire anybody that you that you met on the inside <laughs> the big house yeah yeah we work um yeah we work alongside with people that i've known from inside and in the past we've also worked with people that i didn't know on the inside and then i also realized that you know starting a business you can barely hire yourself for the first i mean barely now we're we barely take a salary like we're very humble so i was like how can i scale this mission because i don't want to say oh we're only a company that hires the formerly incarcerated i want to be a company that also teaches other companies why it's important and creates change at a bigger level and so that's why i started working with government like federal provincial governments other like bigger corporate firms doing talks to help scale the mission and scale the belief in the formerly incarcerated Again, knowing nothing about this, are there programs in place? I mean, obviously not enough or you wouldn't be an advocate for this. But if you get out of jail, other than like all I know is that there's some social worker who tells you, you know, go apply for these jobs. But are there initiatives for companies to hire people with a record? Well, there are. There are now, actually. I mean, but to be honest, when I was in prison, I did a lot of research. I would ask the librarian to print me out articles of companies that had done similar things. And the United States led the charge on this movement. And I knew that like, one of the things I say, it's like, I couldn't have gone to prison at a better time because this movement had already started in the US. And then I read stories online. I read books of people that had built things. And then when I got out, 
obviously it was kind of mostly about, all right, I want to hire people directly. And then I realized, okay, we don't have the capacity to hire everyone. And then I didn't want to feel like a fraud for not being able to hire, say, 100 people right off the bat. Right. And then so I started working with the government of Ontario. So former Minister of Labor, Monty McNaughton, he created the Second Chances Initiative, which is provincial government, which is conservative to give to employers to train them and educate them on how to bring in the formerly incarcerated. Because it's, it's not just people that have gone to prison have experienced significant trauma. And it's, it's not easy just coming back into the world and everyone works differently. You can't just put anyone into a 40-hour work week when there's still so many things that you know challenge them and so many things that they need to accomplish or so many other things that they need in their life to rehabilitate, right? So, so do you get help? On on that sort of thing, like when you're when you're working with these these people who are former inmates and and they have issues because of trauma or because of of stigma or how their family sees them or or whatever, like how do you how do you help or is giving them a job enough of <laughs> enough of a help? So now I have relationships with a lot of organizations in Ontario and even in the United States that do the same thing, and that's one of the things that we've worked on in the past couple of years forging these relationships like even doing workshops like I've done workshops for agencies in Canada like in Vancouver Seattle New York and kind of teaching people like what I learned and how I built myself but also what they're missing from the talent the untapped talent that they're ignoring when people apply for jobs and they have a record you're giving them a second chance I I, I'm sure they must tell you that yeah or first really Or first one. Yeah, that's a good point. The the way I heard about you was that somebody uh, brought me some uh, comeback popcorn as a hostess gift this summer. And I was reading the back of the bag as I was eating (laughs) and went, whoa, Um, it was the lemon pepper dill. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Tell us about the popcorn, because any most people can say, well, can't anybody can make popcorn. But tell us about your popcorn. That's true. Anybody can make popcorn. And that's why I kind of chose it. Because it was a relatable food, but I knew that I could combine it with a bold mission, right? I wasn't about to invent some new food to be like, here, try this like random new food with this mission that is, is, might be challenging for some people. I took something that everyone is familiar with, which is popcorn, and was able to make that relatable to the world. And the recipes, some of them, lemon pepper dill specifically was one of the first prison recipes that, that was the recipe that was like, this is different. I haven't had a popcorn that, you know, combines these kinds of flavors. I mean, I didn't have access to the internet. I didn't like have time to do market research, but I knew that it was, I just had this like feeling and I was like, this is something I can, I can do. And so lemon pepper dill and our triple cheese flavor also was, it's kind of like the more market version of what I call jailhouse cheese. And I would put craft dinner powder, <laughs> craft dinner powder on my popcorn and I would just crush it. <laughs> what was the kitchen like? So you had lemon and you had dill and you had craft cheese, I suppose, but I'm imagining the kitchen. What, what, what's it like? So we had access to a very limited grocery list and at the federal level. The provincial level is very different. So we could, we had a budget of $37 and one cent or $36 one cent to pick from, you know, apples, bread, some meats, but they had to provide things that they were on Canada's food guide because there are people that are in there for life. And that's the way the Canadian system works, at least. And so where was I going with that? Oh my God, now, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, just what, what's available in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, 
which is really funny because Wendy would have no idea what to do. Oh, I like to eat. Yeah, I, I, I like to eat. I just have no idea. I just look around the kitchen and go, oh, what, wow, wow, what's cool. that? <laughs> so we could order like from this list of items and then they'd be, there was a kitchen team like that worked in the, the kitchen, where the food came from wasn't in the house, but the kitchen was in the house. So you could order ingredients from the prison food distribution center and then it would get wheeled to your house every week and then you could kind of toil around with different recipes. But then we also had a canteen. So popcorn kernels weren't available on the grocery list, but the spices were. And so we would get popcorn kernels from the canteen, which is something you'd have to buy and get different things from the grocery list. And so sometimes I put like melt peanut butter and, and jam and put on my popcorn, which is now another flavor. It's kind of like a cult flavor. Like it's not the most popular, but like people that love it, try. <laughs> but that's kind of what we did. Love it a lot. Yeah. So you should do a TV show. Have you ever thought of doing a TV show? Like a Orange is the New? I don't know. I'm imagining you were wearing orange. But <laughs> <laughs> did did you wear orange? No. We weren't even wearing stripes either. No, we wore um, trot, like a sweatsuit. Yeah. And we had and a t-shirt and we had like underwear. Very, it's called standard issue. Yeah, very basic. <laughs> very basic. Were you ever afraid in prison? Of course I was afraid. I was afraid that... I was afraid of different things on different days. You're afraid that your friends won't come visit you because their visits got canceled. You're afraid that the drama in the house might build up into something. You're afraid that everything that you're working on is not even viable. But I'd rather be afraid than sad, I guess, if that makes sense. So your family now, you you didn't go there, but but do they accept? accept everything that's happened to you have have you have you been given a second chance by by everybody yeah we all talk about unconditional love but i think unconditional love actually is conditional right no one really talks about it like that but like i knew that that i'd hurt them so bad but i it couldn't hurt them anymore and this was the thing that it was the catalyst to and like the, that moment that i needed to actually do the work you know, I I had a lot of work I had to do it myself. Of, of course, sure, I didn't orchestrate this drug smuggling trip to St. Lucia, but I also didn't address like my the issues that I had. And I didn't know how to address them, and I wasn't about to like play the victim the whole time because that's that's just not who I am. I, I like I need to ch- take charge, take accountability, and taking accountability was was the first and best step that I ever took. Well, and now you're helping other people. Which is which is great. I mean, uh, I would think that your parents, together or not together, must be very proud of you. Yeah, and I love them, and I'm very lucky to have to have them. And I would do anything for them. And that that's like the first bad moment, like the first poignant moment, was getting brought up to the courtroom in shackles after I'd been arrested. And the second, looking at them for the first time, and then the second poignant moment was being sentenced four years in federal prison. I surrendered to the court. They all came. We brought my grandparents, my aunts and uncles came and it was my mother's birthday, but we were ready. And I was like, this, this is who I'm doing it for. And initially that was who I was doing it for. And then I got to prison. I was like, wait, there's so much more to do it for. This lived experience is what to do it for because this is what it is. It's not going to change. It's not going to go away. And I wasn't about to let something that was always going to be a part of my life, be something I would just pretend to forget because we don't forget. I bet 
they were not surprised. I mean, they may have been surprised by seeing you in shackles or seeing you in prison, but somehow I doubt that they were surprised that you've turned this into a business. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're just like, oh, that's Emily. (laughs) It's actually very inspiring, uh, Emily, what you've done and what you've done. Uh, I know that this sounds trite to say this, but it's almost like this provided you with a turning point in your life that you needed to have. Um, I don't think anybody needs to go to jail to learn that, but but you've, you should also be very proud of yourself. Um, not just your family, but you yourself should, I hope you hold yourself in, in high esteem because you deserve it. Yeah. Like I do, but then you also can't let like this label of always being proud of yourself, convince yourself that you can't struggle again. Right. You, you have to be so vulnerable to life is long. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, people are like, Oh, you're the comeback queen. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the comeback queen. Does that mean I have to sit here forever? Oh no. <laughs> like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. There's that, isn't there? Yeah. There's now all this pressure to, to, to maintain or even exceed that. Well, we hope yeah. there's something beyond popcorn. Somehow I'm sure there will be, um, but there's lots to do on the popcorn front. Um, and I hope it's diet. It's you know, there's a the, a diet popcorn. That's the real important <laughs> popcorn question. Popcorn is, is totally non-fatty. Don't you know that? <laughs> uh, it's what you put on it. Uh, and it, it's been lovely to talk to you, Emily. And um, yeah, I really, I really hope that uh, that more people take up your product and that you get to hire more yeah. more people. It's just, you know the important thing here. Just if you're looking, come back snacks. It's real. The popcorn's amazing. It's super fresh. It's super delicious. This is what started this whole thing. And uh, and your story has just been inspiring and just wonderful to hear. So thank you for, for spending some time with us. Yeah, and it keeps going. Oh, yeah. Life is long. <laughs> it keeps going. And I'm like, I, I'm so excited to share more about it because there's prisons that we find ourselves in at times we didn't expect it might not be a physical person and it might be a financial it might be an environmental it might be like a physical it might have an injury and think we're in this prison that we can't get out of we've all been in places that were like i don't like being here and i'm mad that i'm here but those are the moments when you can have the most creativity and actually use what you think or like a lot of people think you have to have everything to create you don't you just have to have passion motivation and the desire to help others it's a good message Comeback snacks available everywhere, wherever you get your your snacks. At, at Mo's house. <laughs> Farm boy, for sure. Farm boy. Farm boy, for sure. Oh, well, good for good. That's fantastic. That's a that's a good place. Have you got Loblaws on board yet? Oh, no, they're too expensive. Can't afford the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll all just go to Mo's. Uh, apparently, she's got a bag. Oh, no, there's none left. I promise you, I'll have to go get more. But you can, you can get it on the website. Comebacksnacks.com? Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll put all that information up on our website. But uh, Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for, um, yeah, you know, make, making the time today at two o'clock. So I appreciate it. Wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, and see you. And Aww. I'm going to go try the popcorn. <laughs> Yay, thank you. So inside, big house, I, I guess we're, we're hardly... <laughs> We're hardly experts, but she is, uh, she is, she's, well, I'm, I'm sure compared to somebody who's in for life, she doesn't know very much, but she sure knows a lot more than we do about a different side of life. And she's doing something about it, which is, uh, which is really cool. It's, uh, I thought her, her, her message at the end was really important that we're, 
so many of us are in prison, uh, you know, of our own making or of our own default, or even not, you know, people who are disabled or, or mental illness, all the, there's so many situations you can find yourself in where you may not think there's any hope. And uh, who knew? I mean, popcorn was her, her way out, but uh, what a, what a moving story. What a, what an emotional story. Yeah. We had, we started off having some technical issues, which uh, are fascinating. It was just at the end, she was saying, yeah, thanks for talking me through that because it's hardly a worry because there was no technology in prison. We never yeah, even talked I about know. that. It's uh, it's just a very a different snapshot. You don't hear very many stories of people who have been in prison. So it was, uh, and the fact that she has helped that she didn't just find a way out for herself. She's found she's found a way to give opportunity to to all the pals she made in the inside. <laughs> the who's gone? Yeah, I hope I never find out, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was certainly interesting. So that's Emily O'Brien, and it's called Comeback Snacks. I'm not kidding. The popcorn is delicious. And uh, she mentioned it. You can get it at Farm Boy or online at comebacksnacks.com. By the way, you look good in stripes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> well, not stripes, not today. <laughs> You have no sense of irony. You were talking to somebody who's been to jail and you thought, oh, stripes will be good. Yeah, well, uh, orange stripe? Yeah, I know. No, I should have worn an orange jumpsuit, but I don't have one. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>